This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Welcome to a new week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life. We'll do what we can with any question you have. You need only to call. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to me by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner. At the top of the screen, you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. It's Monday, so we've got our men's and women's and youth Bible studies going on here at the church tonight at 7 o'clock. If um, you're a woman, you can watch it live stream at calvarysa.com. And if um, you'd like to come down, there's plenty of room. We'd like to have you as well. Let's get right to questions. Oh, by the way, I hope you had a great weekend at church. Things are slowly getting back to normal, and it's, uh, it's it's just really good to see some people. Yesterday, I was really blessed. I got to see a couple of people that we haven't seen in a very, very long time. It's always a great thing. Hope you had a great day at church as well. Joseph will ask the first question today. He said, how should I divide my prayer time between asking for me or praying for others? Um, Joseph, you need to find a balance here, and I know that's what you're asking for this balance. But for me personally, and I'll I'll just say this first, um, the balance seems to come naturally for me as I focus on praying for others. Uh, I challenge the church all the time to um, um, even record their prayers. You know, we've all got these recording devices in our hands now. Even record your prayers and, and you can gauge whether or not your prayers are mostly about you or about other people. And if your prayers are more about you than other people, then your focus is wrong. And I've always believed, while it's it's okay to let your quests be known to God, the, 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 that's very clear. With thanksgiving, make our requests known to God. The truth, Joseph, is that uh, when my when I find my heart is really grateful, uh, it's it's because probably I'm I'm praying for others. I'm focusing on others, and I can trust Jesus to take care of me. So this is what I would do. I would listen to you, you record your prayer, and listen to it. Um, you can see how much mumbling and stuff there is. Don't be embarrassed. Uh, just just talk to Jesus. He's right there with you. Um, but remember that His focus was always for others, and I think. Almost all of your prayer time ought to be praying for other people, for their needs, for God's hand to move in their lives, those kind of things. Um, um, And then your prayer list for you necessarily will get shorter and shorter and shorter. And basically in doing that, you're just leaving your life in Jesus' hands. So I think that's important. Now, there are things you can pray for. I pray every day for, for my health and for Paula's. Uh, we want to be strong enough and healthy enough to do the work. Um, uh, certainly, I pray for Paula during the day. Uh, we're praying for the needs that we have as a church, those kind of things. But generally speaking, I do better, Joseph, when I'm ignoring me and leaving 
what happens to me in his hands, Jesus' hands, and I'm praying for others. So that's just me. It's the way it's worked. Uh, if you think there's a problem in the balance of your prayer time, just make sure that the emphasis is on other people. I think that will really, really refocus your heart. Again, it's okay to pray for yourself. Just be sure that you're doing it, as Paul says, with thanksgiving. But the the whole idea of of prayer time, um, the idea is to hear from Jesus, to talk to him, to become more like him. And since Jesus was really the only others focused person who's ever walked the face of the earth, that's who then we ought to try to be. And the way that happens is through our time of prayer. Good question, Joseph. Thank you very, very much. Here is an anonymous question. It says, I know we are commanded to forgive, but does a rape victim have to forgive her rapist? That is anonymous, um, an incredibly difficult question. Um, Not having been raped, I don't want to seem insensitive, but we are to be willing to forgive everyone. It doesn't mean that you trust that person. It doesn't mean you like that person. It just means that you're no longer bound by unforgiveness. Here's the thing. When we are unwilling to forgive anybody for anything, then we're the ones who pay the price. We're the ones who get embittered. And so what we need to do is be willing to forgive. Now, remember this. You can't forgive anybody, practically speaking, who doesn't ask to be forgiven. They've got to ask. Jesus offers forgiveness to everybody. Only those who receive it are truly forgiven. In your case, um, if if somebody has raped you, um, what you do is you simply say, Lord, this is a man who needs you. I pray for his soul. And what will happen, Anonymous, is as you pray for him, your heart will change toward him. I don't mean you'll like him or want a relationship with him, nothing like that. So please, 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 don't let the, the enemy twist these words and misunderstand. But you don't want to hold on to unforgiveness because while the other person doesn't care at all about what you care, what you think, you're the one who remains bound in unforgiveness. So it's not letting them off the hook. It's not admitting that, that, that they were right or it's okay. None of that nonsense. It's simply saying, Jesus, I don't want to be bound by unforgiveness toward anybody for anything because that would inhibit my relationship with you. I want my heart to be so open for you, Jesus, that I can hear you, that I can experience you in new and wonderful ways. So work on your heart towards anyone and everyone who's caused you pain. Now, obviously, and I said this earlier, I haven't been raped by anybody. Um, In my past, Anonymous, um, when I got saved, before I got saved, I worked for a guy. He was my partner. And he stole from me. He was about to go out of business. I saved his business. And he cheated me. And I wanted him dead. I mean, I wanted him dead. All that happened in 1987. I got saved in 1991. And I still hated this man so much that everything was just out of balance for me. And I met Jesus. And I still hated him. Still blamed him for all of my problems. And one day in prayer, one day in prayer, Jesus spoke to my heart. The guy's name was Jim. And the Lord told me, I want you to forgive Jim. And I was angry. That's the only time in 30 years walking with Jesus I've been angry at him. How could you ask me to forgive him? He stole everything. He caused all these problems. And the Lord said, no, sin caused all these problems. But he cheated me, and then the Lord reminded me, yeah, but you wanted him dead. And I wrestled with Jesus for two weeks over this. Again, I'm not equating this with the physical rape. 
I really feel like the Lord wants me to share this right now for you and maybe for others who are listening. I wrestled for two weeks with Jesus over this. There were so many times I drove back to the dealership that I built for him. It was a car dealership, a Nissan dealership. And I couldn't get out of the car. Finally, a couple weeks goes by, I pulled in, and I went up to talk to him, angry, crying. He's going to take it the wrong way. He's an arrogant jerk, all those things that we do. And you know what? He was an arrogant jerk, and he took it the wrong way. And every ounce of flesh wanted to punch him out. And I just asked him to forgive me. I walked out of that office, an office I built, by the way. I walked out of that office a free man for the first time because I was no longer bound. Not not for one more minute of one more day was I bound by my hatred for him. And I was actually able to start praying for him to be in heaven. I got set free that day, Anonymous. I want you set free. I'm so sorry. The Lord is so sorry that you had to experience this. But he also wants you to be free, unencumbered, to enjoy your relationship with him. If you need any help, we have women here who can help you. Women who've been through it, who God's dealt with, and will help you. Just call the church office, 658-8337. Whoever answers, let them know you talk to me on the radio. And give me a contact number, and we'll get somebody to help. Thank you for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Marv says, uh, Pastor Ron, do you ever allow Paula to preach at church? And if not, why not? Now, I'm not laughing because if Paula preached at church, she would do a great job. But no, women aren't preachers in church. Uh, Paula teaches uh, a lot of Bible studies. Uh, Paula teaches uh, and counsels. Um, Paula is a great exhorter. Um, You you can't help but to listen to Paula and come away encouraged, ready to sort of run through buildings. But no, the pulpit in the church is not to be manned by women. That's not a pun, no pun intended. Um, But but no, Um, and, and Paula wouldn't want to. Paula wouldn't want to. Um, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. Uh, and so, no. Um, and, and while women are gifted to teach, and we have many gifted women teachers here at Calvary Chapel, um, they're, they're not to, to preach. Um, I would allow a woman to uh, share a testimony or to um, share an experience they had um, but I would never put a woman in a position outside of God's will for them. And and Marv, no matter what you see in the church culture that we live in, uh, it is outside of God's will for a woman to be a pastor in a church and to do the preaching from that position. So that's as clear as I can be. And uh, Paula would have no problem at all with that answer. Anthony says, will you explain Critical race theory. Uh, Anthony, I haven't had a lot of questions on this. I'm surprised by now. Um, I'll explain it as best I can. And then he wants to know, uh, what do I do if my pastor has embraced it? Um, Anthony, uh, and I may take a little bit of time with this. So uh, phone lines are clear if you want to call 340-9585. Um, the short explanation of of CRT, critical race theory, is that everything is racist. White people are racist even if they don't know they're racist. And if they don't know they're racist, they don't know it because they are racist. That's really what 
critical race theory is. Now, obviously, this is something that is is relatively new in our culture. Uh, it is, um, with the help of social media, uh, overtaking uh, our culture. Um, um, the, the, the guilt that white people are supposed to feel um, is um, penetrating even churches, and that is a tragedy. And if your pastor has embraced CRT, he doesn't know the Bible. Uh, he is not a pastor that can be trusted with the Word of God. And he's not a pastor who's loving all his people the way Christ loved the church. It's that simple. Now, I, I don't want to be misunderstood here. There are racists everywhere. But the idea that our culture is racist, everything is racist, is a lie from the pit of hell, Anthony. I'm 51 years with a beautiful black woman. I have two boys that are defined by the world that we live in as being black. And yet I'm racist because I'm white. And yet my Bible says, your Bible, Anthony, says in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, that we all, all of us are who we are, and we are the way we are, and we are here when we are, by the direct design of a sovereign God. So this is just silliness. This is just being woke, run amok. And now we've got pastors embracing woke theology in bucketfuls, and it's misrepresenting Jesus. You know, this is as racist and as evil as those who would embrace the theory that Ham was cursed and because he was the father of the dark-skinned peoples in the world, that that means people with dark skin are cursed. Um, uh, you know, that went through our world, our culture, through the Mormon church, by the way. And it was racist. Well, it is also racist to reject or to indict an entire race of people. Uh, who could do nothing about being white. No, I'm not proud of being white. I'm proud of being a Christian. And Anthony, in the church, and here's where your pastor's really missing it, in the church, we need to recognize that God only recognizes two groups of people. Now, if if, if the question was about ethnicities, there's differences in ethnicities. Um, I heard somebody say just last week that you know, the word Asian is tossed around. Um, Indians from India are Asians. Uh, Chinese people are Asians. Mongolians are Asians. Filipinos are Asians. And they're all so different and from such different cultures. And that, that diversity, the, the differences are, are, are beautiful. And yet we have a tendency to categorize them all as Asians. God says there are ethnicities for sure, nationalities, different cultures, different backgrounds. But there's only two races in the human race, saved and unsaved. And that's all that matters to Jesus. And we who are Christians, not only are we in terribly evil, wicked sin, if we are prejudiced or racist, Racism has no place in the life of the heart of a Christian. And somebody who is a or a prejudiced person or a racist, um, that person is misrepresenting Christ and um, certainly has no agreement with Jesus. On the other hand, God loves everybody. We have to embrace everybody. And love everybody and tell them the truth about Jesus Christ, crucified and risen from the dead. So, Anthony, critical race theory is, well, there was a pastor, maybe this is what spawned the question, Anthony, uh, David Platt, who's very well known on social media. And basically he was crying from his pulpit, apologizing for being white. The only thing he didn't do was turn his church over to a, a person of color. 
And that is sin. It is evil. It misrepresents Jesus. I can't be strong enough in my condemnation for that nonsense. To be a racist is sin. To accuse somebody wrongly of being a racist is equally sin. So that's just the woke culture that we're living in. And that's why we need Jesus to come back, Anthony. So I hope that answers your question. What should you do if your pastor's embraced that you need to find a new church? Dennis says, I struggle with being consistent with time in the Bible. How much time should I spend in the Word knowing that I also have to pray and go to church? Dennis, I think your perspective is where you're struggling here. Uh, You don't have to pray. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to read the Bible. You get to do all those things. They're not got-tos, they're get-tos. And in fact, if you look at them as sort of a chore, things to cross off a list of things to do every day, you're missing the beauty of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, Dennis, the Christian life, especially the the fruitful Christian life, Jesus said that that he appointed us to bear fruit and abundant fruit at that. The fruitful Christian life requires discipline. You know, you've got to go to work. You get up, you discipline yourself, you get there on time because you'd be fired if you didn't. How much more should we discipline ourselves so we could spend time with Jesus? So spend time, not because you have to, but because you get to. Because Jesus is sitting there with you. Imagine sitting in in a den or an office or in your living room and the Bible's open, you've got a lamp so you can see well, and, and Jesus is sitting right there next to you. And he wants to whisper in your ear. He wants to share with you who he is and what he's done. And if you're doing it just to get done, and we all find ourselves in those ruts sometimes. Read so many chapters a day, I'm just going to get it done, I'm going to get through it. That's not really doing anything that helps our walk with Jesus. So at least you know that you're struggling. Now it's up to you to be consistent by disciplining yourself. Plan the time. Dennis, in the morning, when you get up, there's nothing more important that you can do than hear from the Lord. Offer your life to Him that day. He knows what you're going to be encountering that day. Uh, He lives outside His time and space. You don't. So get up in the morning. Talk to Him like He's your friend. He is your best friend. Open your Bible. And ask him to speak to your heart. Try to save enough time that you can take a walk with him or at the least spend some time, quiet time, praying, listening. And your life will be enriched immeasurably if you do that. So it's not, I got to do all these things. Remember that it's a privilege and an honor to do those things. And if you'll do those things and you see how much richer your life gets, it'll blow your mind. Don't be spiritually lazy. Get up. Now, Dennis, a lot of times I have people who will say, well, well, well I, I have to get up and go to work and I can't be late. Well, go to bed earlier so you can get up earlier. Jesus said in Isaiah chapter 50 that, that his father wakes him morning by morning to give him an instructed word. If Jesus needed to speak with his father early in the morning, how much more do we need to spend time with him early in the morning? That's how important this is. Hearing from the Lord in the word or through prayer is a privilege that none of us can do without. So rearrange your priorities, Dennis, if you will. 
We got one minute plus for this half of the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Let me see if I have a really quick question I can do. Um, Grady wants to know, what do you think is the weakest part of the church in the United States right now? Um, Grady, I'll expand on this, but the weakest part of the church is that we are lazy, we are Bible illiterate, and we're lukewarm. More on that on the other side of the break. Hey, this is the word to stand up for life. It's the Monday edition of the show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. The phones are quiet. We'd love to have you call. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. We'll be back in two minutes. Don't have time to call into the Word to Stand On for Life? No problem. If you've got questions, you can email them to Pastor Ron at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our monday show 340-9585 let me finish with grady's question i just kind of touched on it before the break what is the weakest part what i think is the weakest part of the church in the united states Right now, you know, um, Grady, we are and and we're a perfect picture of the history of the church. Whenever it has been comfortably Christian, um, Christians have lost their zeal. Um, We become lukewarm. Um, uh, Persecution. There's something about being persecuted that that drives us closer and closer to Jesus. And uh, sadly, uh, it, it shouldn't take that, but it does. But whenever it's easy to be a Christian or comfortably a Christian, um, we just lose our fervor. Paul says we're never to be lacking in zeal, but keeping our spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. I think that's another weakness of the church. Um, Service in the church is not emphasized in most pulpits because they don't want to offend people. They want people comfortable, so they keep people coming in. I think that is one of the biggest uh, um, uh, deficiencies uh, of the megachurch movement. Um, they they want to entertain you rather than instruct you. They don't want you to be convicted because of sin. And that creates comfy, cozy, lukewarm Christians. Um, Christians are supposed to serve. Um, James says, if, if you say you have faith, show me your works that prove it. It's not that we get saved by works. I think you all know that. But 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 works naturally flow. And the place that we're supposed to begin serving is in the house of God, in the local church. And most churches, praise God, that's not true of Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. But I think most churches have to beg people to serve. And I think that's horrible. So we're lukewarm. We're lazy, spiritually speaking. And I think we're just too comfortable. We want to be saved. We want to go to heaven but we don't want to struggle. We don't want to suffer. We're unwilling to do what Jesus told us to do, and that's to deny ourselves. So, Grady, that's my answer for, uh, I, I think, the, the, the glaring weaknesses in the church in the United States. I think this last year with COVID, um, I think that is, um, um, has, is, has shined a light on this glaring weakness that the church has. And a lot of churches are never going to be what they were before COVID. People have stopped going because it's been really comfortable. Anytime we live in a church culture that thinks turning on a computer and watching a pastor preach is church, well, that's a problem. Thank you. Let's go to Harold on line one from San Antonio. Harold, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Yes, it's Harold. I've been wanting to... uh, get your thoughts, uh, ask you a few questions. Uh, for the last few weeks, I've been reading, uh, well, actually, I have, I've been reading the book of James, basically, mm-hmm. uh, chapter 1, verse 1, uh, where it says, uh, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. And, of course, in verse 2, 
Uh, it says, brother, and count it all joy when you fall through various trials. And I'm just starting to be uh, have a custom when I wake up in the morning. There's going to be some trials, but I try to look <laughs> at the bright side. So, <laughs> so my, you know, I've been really studying. You know, uh, the Bible has their books and the way they're put in, in the order. But I was also reading where that it's possible. I mean, I'm not trying to change anything or it doesn't make a difference per se, but very possible that the book of James was um, maybe happened or was an event before, you know, the book of Acts, before the book of Matthew. It may have been the first letters written. And the, uh, the bigger comment I have is in that may substantiate that, I'm not sure, about the 12 tribes, is in the book of Genesis 49.19, I mean 48.19, I'm sitting in my truck right now, so I'm a little calm mm-hmm. before I hit the road, but 48.19, where Abraham's talking, I believe it is, talking to, about all the descendants, and at the very end of uh, verse 19, Genesis 48:19 it says and your descendants will be scattered you know across the nations so my thinking is and um like I say is these verses I hang on to them for several weeks and uh I I was just wondering if very possible James is talking about to the people here in this letter to the 12 tribes referring to the book of Genesis, maybe, in a verse, I mean, chapter 28, verse 19 at the bottom there. So that's what I was going to ask you if you wanted to Thank you, elaborate Andy. on that a little bit. But I'm just I can curious help. about that, James being the first one, maybe the first message before it all got started. Yeah, so I'll listen I, on the I, radio, okay? Okay. Thank you for calling, Harold. I appreciate it. I also can can I can kind of straighten that out. Now, now James, of course, was the half-brother of Jesus. Um, he was a, um, um, a convert only when the risen Christ appeared to him. Uh, James, when he introduces his book, he didn't say, James, the brother of Jesus, you need to listen to me. He, he describes himself as a servant of God. I mean, his life was completely transformed. And James, in fact, became the, the, the de facto leader of the church in Jerusalem. It wasn't Peter. It was James who became the leader. James was a holy guy. James was a just man. Um, James, it is said in extra biblical literature, he had knees that looked like camel's knees because he prayed so much. He was on his knees so long. And in fact, uh, one of the nicknames that James was given in the early church was camel knees. That's how people spoke about him. And they meant that in a, in a loving and honoring way. He was just a righteous, godly guy. He was also... Uh, perhaps the most Jewish of all of the Jewish converts in, in that he held on to some of the tenets of Judaism uh, longer and more tightly than some of the others. So in fact, um, um, he he would have perhaps been looking back at Isaiah and, and knowing the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, knowing that, that Isaiah was the favorite prophetic book of his brother, half-brother Jesus, um, no doubt when he talks about the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, he's connecting the two thoughts uh, from Isaiah and and uh, the situation that he was in. However, and this is really important, uh, James is uh, not anywhere close to the first of the epistles that were written. It has a fairly late date of writing um, in the, I'm, I'm guessing in the late, um, let me say mid to late sixties AD. And, um, um, so, so it's, it's not the first and, and whoever is telling you that or whatever you're reading, uh, is probably Harold trying to make a connection to the lost tribes and prove a point, but that's just not true. It's simply not true. Um, James, um, had a very long and fruitful life. Um, this is not James, the brother of John, who was martyred, uh, the first apostle to be martyred. 
uh, martyred. Uh, but but when he says to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, he's talking that they were scattered by the persecution. And that's why he just starts his book with a bang. You know, at verse one is like, hi, the next verse is, OK, you're going to suffer. You're going to you're going to be persecuted. Um, that's what he's saying. So um, he, he's telling Jews and this is a, a, a Jewish focused book. Um, he's telling Jews that they ought not to be surprised because of the trials that they're facing. That's exactly what Peter says in his epistle. But he's just saying that that the 12 tribes, meaning the Jews, are scattered among Gentile peoples, and the reason they're scattered is because of persecution. Now, we know there were several um, persecutions that came upon the church in Jerusalem. Uh, It's referred to a couple of different times in our New Testament. And uh, the scattering is just uh, they weren't allowed to gather. And that was just persecution of the church. So this wasn't an early letter at all. Um, um, James thinks in Jewish terms. And that's why he would um, talk about the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. It would be a a, a link to what Isaiah said. But at the same time, um, maybe even he's he's suggesting uh, this is the fulfillment of prophecy. Um, that's why you can say, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And then he says to finish the course. So that's what's going on here. But it is, it's simply not honest scholarship, uh, whoever you're reading or listening to, Harold, that would suggest that this might have been the first of the New Testament books that were written uh, that's not even close to being true, and there's overwhelming evidence to that fact. Harold, thanks for calling. It's always good to hear from you. Let's go to a question that was sent in from our email inbox. The first one is anonymous. Pastor on, I know the Lord has called me into full-time ministry. I struggle severely with same-sex attraction, and every day I feel the enemy pulling me to watch pornography. I know absolutely that these things are wrong. I want to serve the Lord, but the temptation is not going away. But it feels as if it's intensifying. What should I do? You are right. I can tell you you're 100% right when you say the temptation is intensifying. Satan's not going to give up. So this is what you have to do. And I'm just finishing um, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 on Sundays. And we've talked about celibacy. Um, This is important. It's a gift that nobody asks for, but it's a gift that every single man and woman ought to ask God for every day until that man or that woman that they can be married to uh, comes into their life. Um, uh, This coming Sunday, Anonymous, I'm going to be doing the entire study on singleness, and this is... Uh, one that you should you should watch. So um, go to calvaryessay.com. You can watch it live stream or, or come by the church if you're in the local area. Um, but uh, understand that being single doesn't disqualify you from ministry, but sinning does. So um, this is something you have to live with. Uh, same-sex attraction is a result of the fall. You know, when man fell... Our brains got messed up, and and we're attracted to things that we shouldn't be attracted to. Uh, pornography is just as evil for um, somebody with 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 uh, opposite gender attraction as it is for you. And to give in to it is going to disqualify you from what you say. You know, the Lord has called you into full time ministry. You've got to decide what is the value to you of serving God. Is it worth saying no to your flesh so that you can say yes to Him? Paul tells the church at Rome that sin shall no longer have dominion or be our master. First Corinthians chapter ten verse thirteen says that 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 no one is tempted beyond what they can bear, and that there are other people who've who've overcome the same kinds of temptations. So knowing that they're wrong, giving in to them, no matter how strong the temptation, makes you super super accountable. So the way you serve the Lord, you say, "I want to serve the Lord." But the temptation's not going away. What should I do? Understand that every day this is a battle you're going to have to fight. Same-sex attraction does not disqualify you from ministry, but sin does. And you're going to have to decide how important Jesus is. Now, um, 
I'm assuming that you are a male. And so I'm going to recommend a book um, written by a woman, but but a book that I think lays before you the choice. It's a, a book by Jackie Hill Perry, and it's called Gay Girl, Good God. And um, Jackie is serving God faithfully, um, wonderfully, and she's now married, so it's not that she she lost the same-sex attraction. That's that's nonsense. It's just that she made a decision to enable her to be a servant of God. And Anonymous, that's exactly what you've got to deal with as well. You know that they're wrong, so they've got to be anathema to you. Cut them off. You've got to remove yourself from temptation, from the source of temptation. You've got to hate pornography so much that you're willing to tear up your computers if that's what you have to do to resist it. And then you have to remember to fight in the power of the Spirit on Friday nights, this Friday, we're starting um, with the full armor of God in in Ephesians chapter six in a in a series on spiritual warfare. And I don't do series, but I mean we're just in in uh, chapter six, and it, it, I'm going to go through it very very slowly. And you got to you got to get ready for the battle. You're in it. Satan's not going to ease up. But remember, it's not something you have to do. Let me make one other practical suggestion. Everywhere you go, and I'm not talking about the Bible on your phone, okay? You need to take a Bible with you everywhere you go. And every time the temptations come, you need to sit down somewhere, open that Bible, and read it. Turn the pages, a book with leather binding and, and, and pages. And the only way I know to deter the enemy is to... Make sure that you know or he knows that every time that he tempts you, that it's going to drive you into the Word of God. Now, he'll try something else, but at least it won't be the same temptation. So, yes, it's going to intensify because the devil hates you. But remember, Jesus loves you and he's the one, using your own words, who's called you into full-time ministry. So, keep struggling, but at the same time, remember that we have victory over those struggles. You've got to just say no. And every time you give in, Anonymous, you're making a decision that that moment of pleasure, that moment of lust, is more important than a lifetime of calling that the Lord has for you and the fullness of service and joy that he has for you. I hope that helps a little bit. Um, We can also help with that if you need it. Tough one there. This is from Alan from our email inbox. He said, were the dinosaurs and similar creatures, did they go extinct as a result of the fall of man? Um, No, Alan, they didn't go extinct as a result of the fall of man. They would have gone extinct as a result of the flood of Noah. That's when they disappeared. Man and dinosaurs. I know this is is a horrible thing uh, for a scientist to hear, but men and dinosaurs walked together on this earth. It wasn't millions or billions of years ago. They walked together. God created all the creatures. And in fact, the dinosaurs, I'm sure in smaller form, but, but the dinosaurs were named by Adam. And man and dinosaurs walk together. There is overwhelming evidence. You can go to, to um, ICR, the Institute of Creation Research, and they're really good with their bibliographies and, and their, their source materials. Um, but there's, there's overwhelming evidence that, that fossils have been found in, in footsteps of men. Uh, man's DNA has been found in the footsteps of dinosaurs. Uh, so the, the point is that we were all here together at one point, but the species went extinct as a result of the flood. Now, here's something else to consider. All of the animals that were alive when Noah took them on the ark, they were all represented. That means that dinosaurs emerged from the ark with all of the other animals to go out and and multiply. But it is not at all unusual to see species go extinct 
completely extinct. We, we've got endangered species lists because there are species that are on the verge of, of becoming extinct. Um, so it's not unusual. The dinosaurs just didn't survive. For whatever the reasons, the dinosaurs just didn't survive. And that's all it says. But it wasn't a result of the fall of man. It was a result of the flood of Noah. Good question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our mobile app. This one also anonymous. What is your opinion on the Catholic Church's latest stance on gay lifestyle? Pope Francis said, and now he's quoting, the church does not have and cannot have the power to bless unions of persons of the same sex. The church recalls that God himself never ceases to bless each other, each of his pilgrim children in this world because for him we are more important to God than all of the sins that we can commit. But he does not and cannot bless sin. Now, this is anonymous again, as I understand it. The decree distinguished between the Catholic Church's welcoming and blessing of gay people, which it upheld, but not their unions. Um, honestly, Anonymous, we should care absolutely nothing for what Pope Francis says. He's an apostate. He is not a believer. He doesn't have the heart or the mind of God at all. Uh, he's demonstrated that over and over. I think this statement is nothing more than political pushback uh, from his statement blessing them earlier. And um, I think this is sort of rebellion um, um, from within the ranks, and this is sort of a, 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 a peace treaty to keep the church unified. So I don't care what the Catholic Church says. The Catholic Church does not have the mind or the heart of God. Now, having said that, and I want to be careful so I'm not misunderstood when I get ugly emails for saying what I just said, uh, I want you to listen to what I'm saying now. There are real Christians in the Catholic Church. Not many as a percentage of the whole. It's hard to be born again when a church doesn't teach you that you need to be. It's hard to be born again when the theology, the doctrine of the Catholic Church is so... um, so far off a biblical sinner. Um, But there are real Christians in the Catholic Church. And because of tradition, because of ties, um, they don't want to leave. I don't understand it. I never will understand it. But but we need to be sharing Jesus with Catholics all the time. But this isn't a a, a welcoming statement at all. Um, I, I don't need the Catholic Church to affirm what the Bible clearly says. So um, I, 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 I think this is nothing more than a peace offering that uh, the Pope has is, is presented to the, the bishops um, and the cardinals who are um, in an uproar because this is a, a Pope who has um, sort of turned... Um, generations of Catholic teaching upside down, and and well, they're not right side up anyway. But but it just it just causes uh, more confusion. Um, to to say that a, a Catholic is blessed by God, and and to be gay is okay, but we can't bless your union. Is tradition that is dripping with hypocrisy. So, Anonymous, I think that's all that matters in this. I think um, what the Bible says is the only thing that really matters. Okay, I think we have time for one more question today. Here's a good one. Gene says, Can a person be saved and not believe the Bible is God's literal word? Uh, Gene, the, the answer to your question is yes, it is possible to be saved. Um, when I got saved, I didn't know the Bible was God's Word. Um, I think what you're probably referring to is what what we now know as progressive Christianity, where they say, well, you know, we believe the Bible is important, but we just don't believe it's really the Word of God. Those people, progressive Christians, are not saved. They're not real Christians. I, I wish they'd just change the name to pretend Christians, because they're in their own make-believe world. So, 
The Bible is God's word. It's his final word. It is the, the authority for life and rule and doctrine and practice for, for individual Christians, for the church of Jesus Christ. And I think if a person is really saved, remember Jesus says that when you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes and live, lives within us. And Jesus, one of the names for the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth who will lead us into all truth. So Gene, when a person is saved and they're skeptical about the Bible, as I was when I got saved 30 years ago, I think at some point the Holy Spirit begins to work on that heart and then we've got to find out what we believe about the, the Bible. It is God's word. It is to be taken literally. The progressive Christian says it is not to be taken literally. That's foolishness. Uh, the progressive church then, because they've thrown away parts of God's word, um, they, they've blessed all kinds of aberrant and perverted behavior. Jesus said, if you make one of my little ones stumble, it would be better for you to be thrown into the deepest, darkest sea and have a millstone tied around your neck, be better if you've never been born. So to be a functioning Christian, to move from, I just got saved, I don't know how the Bible could be true, to being a functioning Christian, that journey goes right through the Word of God and we all of us have to make a decision about whether it's His Word or the Word of man. Gene, good question. Thank you very much. Hey, appreciate your call today, Harold. Appreciate all of you who tune in. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a wonderful week serving the Lord this week. I'll see you on Monday, or tomorrow rather. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4 and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.